Today, uh, around the world, is called Stand Sunday. Who knows what Stand Sunday is? Raise your hands. All right, this would be a good teaching time. All right, great. Uh, so Stand Sunday it used to be known as Orphan Sunday, and it's a day uh, across the world where a lot of churches and organizations focus their attention on the plight of the orphan and the vulnerable children in the world around us. Since this is uh, one of the, the crucial things that this church was even founded upon to serve the, the least of these and the vulnerable children in the world around us, uh, we thought it not only appropriate but necessary to take a little break out of Luke. I know we just started last week, uh, and we're going to fix our attention on the orphan in our community, on the orphan in our world, and on what we as a church would hope and plan to do about it. It's one thing, this is very important to me, this is the reason why we started this church, it's one thing to say you care about the orphan, it's another thing to actually care about the orphan. It's one thing to say you care about those that are in trouble around you, it's another thing to enter into the darkness with them. For you to get beat up a little bit, for you to have to sacrifice to care for those around us. And so the reason why we have this church here is not just because we wanted, you know, to meet in this cafeteria every Sunday, because that would be fun. And this is great. I love this. But it's that we could be local to a community around us to actually begin to push back the darkness. Like we're not here just to gather sometimes. We say every week, almost at least, services are a launching pad, not a landing place. We come here to be equipped and sent so that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're actually making a difference in the world around us, not just talking about it and not just saying we have a heart for it, but tangibly, manifestly so. I want us to be these kind of people who don't just say they care. One of the things I'll, I'll say to challenge people a lot uh, is uh, I'll ask, you know, do you, do you say you care about the orphan? They'll say, yeah, of course. And I'll say, name one. Just name one. Just give me one. Tell me one orphan that you know. And that begins to help us realize, like, it's really one thing to say it. And you may genuinely mean that you care. I'm not saying that people who don't have an answer to that don't care. But it's a quite another thing to actually do it. And so I want us to be a church of action, to be a church who does things in the name of Jesus, to actually push back the darkness, to get our hands dirty in the world around us. So since vulnerable children are really uh, at the heart of God, what we're calling today's sermon is the heart of God. If you want to write that down, that's the heart of God. If you want to use your Luke book to write notes in, that's totally fine. You should have plenty of space for next week. Make sure to bring this back next week. We're going to use it. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to talk about real quick is we have baptisms next week. So it's our very first City Light Baptisms. Woody woo. Yeah, okay. Baptisms are good. They are fun. They are what the Lord wants. It represents changed lives. We should be very excited about baptisms. So if you want to get baptized with us, we're actually going across the street to the Providence Recreational Center to use their pool. Uh, we're doing baptisms in public, which I think will be a blast. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, the school doesn't actually allow you to even do it inside, so we had to find another way. And by God's providence, I think it would be better to do it in public where other people can see and hear the gospel that way. So we're going to do that. If you would like to be baptized, uh, you can email info at wearecitylight.org. You can come talk to me or one of our pastors after. We just have a baptism application. Even if you come next week. We will have clothes and stuff ready for you if you forgot. So we want you to be able to get baptized if that's how the Lord is leading you and if you've really trusted in him. So next week, baptisms here at City Light. Make sure to email that. Find one of us. Contact us. We'd love to get you involved in that. So what I want us to, to think about today uh, is the heart of God. And later, actually, I'm going to preach very short. Which, uh, everybody say yes and amen. 
All right, I'm going to preach very short, and I'm going to have uh, my lovely wife come up and share a little bit as well about um, our attempt to take care of orphans around the world, and what does that look like for us as a church as well, uh, and she'll have wonderful things to say better than me, so I'm excited for that. But today I want to talk about the heart of God, and I want to talk about how we as a church can be the hands and feet of God's heart. This is really what a church is. Like, in its essence, it's the manifestation in the world of who God is. And God has a heart of love for his people, and especially a heart of love and defense for the most vulnerable. So the question as a church, if we want to be a real functioning church the way God has designed, is how can we be the hands and feet of God's heart? How can we get God's heart? Our heart, in our heart, and then how can we manifest that in the world? And how can we be the hands and feet of God's heart? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to roll out both some practical things and some spiritual realities at play for us, okay? And then next week, we'll jump back into Luke and continue that as planned. I want to give you some statistics real quick uh, just to get wrap your mind around it. These are from uh, the Christian Alliance for Orphans.com. It's kfo.org. You can go there and find them yourself. There are estimated 140 million orphans worldwide. 140 million. Uh, 15.1 million of them have lost both parents. They call that a double orphan. There are 427,910 children in U.S. foster care today. So before you think, oh, this is a problem, mostly around the world. No, this is a problem here. 427,910 children in U.S. foster care. Houses right around where you live today. 111,820 of them right now ready and waiting to be adopted. So there's that many kids waiting right now to be adopted. It's already, everything's already been settled, no kin, nothing's worked out. They're just waiting for somebody to adopt them right now. That is true like today as I speak, 111,820 people. If every church adopted one kid, you would cover this by a lot. This wouldn't even be hard. There are 200 children in foster care in Fairfax County itself, about 600 when you consider the DMV. 200 foster care children right around us in Fairfax County, right where you live. There's 200 children that need care, that need a home, that need love and support right where you live, who are in the system, ready to be taken care of. These are the realities of the world around us. Now, I don't say these things to just overwhelm you with big numbers, but I want you to remember that each one of these numbers represents one child, represents a real life, represents a child that has cares and concerns that's probably been in a really tough environment that needs help and support and needs God's love. And throughout the scriptures, one of the most interesting things you'll realize is when God punishes Israel throughout the Old Testament, a lot of times we place it on other reasons, but the majority reason he gives is they didn't care for the vulnerable. There's other things that are like, oh, they sin like this or that. But when you read the Old Testament consistently through God's main concern with his people, the main reason his wrath goes on his people, his own people, is because they didn't care, practically so, for the orphan, for the vulnerable children, the widow around them. And that's God's heart. And God, the scripture says, is a defender of the fatherless. So we want to be after God's heart to be a defender of the fatherless around us, not just in word. I mean, we could preach a lot of sermons about it, but in deed. So I want to show you two simple things today before my wife comes up. The first is the extraordinary heart of God. And the second is the ordinary obedience of his people. So here's God's extraordinary heart. Let's take a look and see what that looks like. And then let's look at his, the ordinary obedience of his people, us, to see how we can actually live this out. So 
I love this text. This verse is worth memorizing, as they all are. But 1 John 3, 1, if you want to open your Bible there and read it with me, it says simply this. It says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is God's extraordinary heart. See what kind of love the Father has given us, poured out on us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is the truth of the Christian life. This is the spiritual principle behind all care for the orphan, is that spiritually speaking, every human being is an orphan. Every human being is separated from their father. Every human being, not because of the father's badness, because God is perfect, but because of ourselves, we have chosen willingly to run away from our father, to rebel against our father, who's perfect and good and right. We have chosen a path that's destructive for us, and we've been separated from God. It is not that he did anything wrong, but that we chose to run away. And now you see this picture in the Bible where God looks at this group of people who have been spiritually orphaned, who are spiritually homeless, who are spiritually familyless, who are destroying their own lives, each and every one of us. God looks at that group of people and he has a heart of love towards them. He doesn't look at them and say, oh, you know, he looks at them with his heart of love to say, I want you back. Even though you chose to run away and practically orphan yourself, even though you chose to run away from the love of God, God's love is so strong that he lavishes it upon us. This is God's heart. This is the spiritual backbone of why we act like this in the earth and the world today is because this is God's heart to make people his sons and daughters. This is what God is doing in the world. All across the world, God's main purpose in the world is to take people that are spiritually orphaned from him, spiritually homeless, destined to be separated from God forever because of their own sins, and to go after them through the death and resurrection of Jesus, to show love, to show compassion, to be quick to give mercy and grace, to gather this group of people back into the family of God and call these people who are once orphans to call them sons and daughters. This is what God is doing, and that's the first step for many of you today. You walked in here spiritually homeless, spiritually an orphan apart from the Lord. You walked in here separated from God because of your own sin, just like all of us at one point. And God brought you here, not just to come to church, but to join his family. God wants you to be a son or a daughter. God wants to bring you into his family. This is God's heart. This is what we have to see. And the Bible often says, man, that God's anger is but for a moment, but his grace, his love, his mercy lasts forever. That God prioritizes mercy over judgment. And he will judge. Let's not get it twisted. And if you decide to continue to disobey God forever, there is wrath and judgment on that. But God's heart, God's heart is love. And even though you may have run really far away, even though you feel really dirty walking in here right now, even though you feel like everything in your life is a mess and no one would love you, let me assure you God loves you. Let me assure you God wants you to be a son and a daughter God wants to bring you into his family. There is nothing, no, not nothing, you could have done or do right now that would prevent God from accepting you into his family. If you would simply turn to him from your sin, trust in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for you, that is simply all you have to do to become a child of God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to work for it. You just become it through faith in Christ. 
This is God's heart. We have to get a hold of God's heart. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, which many of you are now in now, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is this heart cry for us to say, this is my dad. The spirit himself in us bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We just see the truth here is that God is saying you once had a spirit of fear because of your slavery to sin, fear of a purposeless life, fear of being uh, let down again by someone that you love, fear of being lonely, fear of being unaccepted, fear of God and his wrath. And now God says because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, because he gives you his spirit, you no longer have a spirit of fear, of slavery, but a spirit of a son who cries, Abba, Father. This is the beauty of what God is doing in the world, what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to cry from your own heart, God, you are my father. And God is a father, as we see throughout the scriptures, who will never leave you, never forsake you, never let you down, never disappoint you, never do anything wrong towards you. And he'll be that way towards you forever. This is what God does. This is God's heart. And the first thing we must do is remember what God has done for us. If we're going to go into the world as a group of believers who trust in Jesus and act towards the world as Jesus, we must be overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus has done this for us in the first place. We just have to be overwhelmed by the fact that I was once a sinner separated from God forever, spiritually orphaned, spiritually homeless, without purpose, without direction, without hope in the world. And God had every right to destroy me, to smush me and send me straight to hell. And he decided instead to die for me. And I'm going to receive that love, and I'm going to experience that love, and I'm going to treasure that love. I'm going to be overwhelmed by that love. I'm going to think about that love. I'm going to be in that love. See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon you. Be overwhelmed by the love of God in your life. Don't take it for granted. It is not just because, well, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's exceptional. It's amazing that God would give you this love. So the first thing we have to do is remember God's heart. Remember what that means for us. If we are not overcome by the love of God, we will not step into dark places to display the love of God. We have to first be affected. We have to first remember. We have to first be amazed that God would do that for us. We have to be after God's heart. I want you to see God's heart for you, and I'm calling many of you to receive God's heart for you today. I know there's people in the room who are far from God, and the first thing you think is, man, I don't want to go to church, but you wound up in church today. And then the next thing you think is, these people will judge me, but we love you. And the next thing you think is, well, God would never love me, but now here you go. He wants you to be a son or a daughter. And he brought you here for that purpose. Believe in his name. Receive Jesus, what he's done for you. Receive God's heart. And let's be after God's heart together. So God has an extraordinary heart of love. This is what he does all throughout the scriptures. The reason why it's important for Christians and churches to be in the adoption, vulnerable children, taking care of the orphan world is because it's probably the most tangible display of what God has done for us. God has adopted his people. Everybody in the family of God has been adopted into his family by his choosing, by his will, by his bringing in. We were once outside of the family, strangers to the kingdom, and God has brought us in. 
If you are in the family of God, it's because you have been adopted by God into the family of God. And now we go into the world, we display the same kind of love. And we go and we bring children, or whatever it may be, however we may serve. We display the adopting love of God by going in and displaying that in the world around us. And I'm telling you, if I just get up here and say, let's go do this nice thing for the world, that'll last a little bit. But if we catch God's heart, and if we're overwhelmed by God's heart, and if we're just, over, just overcome by God's heart, then we're going to go into the world with energy, purpose. We're going to fight those battles because you're going to go like, yeah, let me do this. And then something's going to happen and pop, you know. They'll knock you over. It'll be like, yeah, like me and my wife just on the bed at night just being like, what in the world did we do? Like, what are we, we're just like, what are we going to do? And we're just like, I don't know if I can do this. That's going to come. You know, if we as a church try to actually make a real difference and don't just talk about it, we're going to get hit. If you try to go into the world and actually make a difference, you're going to get hit. And you're not going to stand if you don't first have this foundation to love and enjoy the love of God for you. That's going to give you the energy, the motivation to go display this love to others at whatever cost to your own life. So God has an extraordinary heart of love for you, for vulnerable children around us. The second thing, now real quick before my wife comes up, is ordinary obedience of his people. This is important for me. I feel like my calling in uh, at least my little foster care adoption world that I live in is to demystify what people think is the special calling of people who do that. I could never do that. I would never, you know, I don't, I don't know how you, this must be a special call of God. And I feel like that's everybody's easy way of saying, I don't want to do that. And I want to demystify all the time. There is no special call for those who take care of orphans. You don't need some divine revelation. God doesn't need to write anything in the sky. You don't need to have a special heart for it. It's biblical. It's something Christians do. I want to demystify this specialized calling. Let me show you two texts that got me and my wife into the vulnerable children world, specifically through foster care. These are the two texts that did it uh, for us, along with lots of other things. Obviously, it's not this simple, but let me show you the two. One of them you would obviously expect. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's the first thing. Pure religion is defined by God as someone who cares for orphans and widows and pursues a holy and pure life. Now, you can't do these things to earn God's love. Remember, that's not possible. He's not saying if you care for the orphan and widow, you'll be accepted by God. The only way you get accepted by God is trusting in Jesus. He's the only perfect one. But he is saying that real religious devotion, real religious fervor, a heart that really loves God, displays itself in particularly two ways, care for the most vulnerable people in the world, which are orphans and widows. I think the reason he picked these two categories is not to be overly specific, but to pick the two most vulnerable groups in the world, and then you go out from there. To say we're going to care for the most vulnerable and for all the vulnerable people. So true religion is this. Then Matthew 22, 39 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the question we began to ask from my wife and I, we uh, got married, we moved overseas, we lived in the Dominican Republic for a little while. One of our main jobs was orphan care. We spent every day in an orphanage, uh, and we were doing that, and then we came back to America, went back to seminary, and a couple years later, we were just kind of like, I know it's our heart, but just because we did it before doesn't count for now. Like past obedience doesn't equal present obedience. And because we did it before, it doesn't mean we're exempt from this passage right now. 
That's kind of like, oh, God, we've done that. And it's like, no, this is something you need to obey literally all the time, every day. And we became very convicted uh, that we needed to be more diligent in doing that. And then we thought, okay, what does that look like? Lord, there's lots of ways to do it. So once again, I want to be clear. The way we're doing it is by far not the only way. It's just one way. There's lots of ways for people to get involved in this game. We just want to be one example for that. The second thing was this text was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, there's things we know in the Bible, but then when you really think about it, ask yourself that question, like, how am I loving my neighbor as myself? Just think about, like, I love myself an awful lot, right? I mean, we love, we love ourselves an awful lot. Even if you hate yourself, it's because you love yourself. You see what I'm saying, right? So even if you're having a hard time with yourself, it's because you really love yourself. You want it to be different. So we love ourselves an awful lot. And uh, I was just thinking in my life, you know, you're doing lots of good things, whatever. You know, trying to be whatever, trying to do what the Lord wants me to do at some level. But then it's like, how am I really doing this? Like, how am I loving my neighbor as myself? It's a really good Christian thing to say and a good thing, once again, to believe. It's another thing to say, oh, I can actually live that out. I can point to examples how I'm loving my neighbor with the same intentionality at which I would love myself. Well, it's an easy thing to say, a really hard thing to live out. So we begin to ask the question, well, how can we care for the orphan and love our neighbor as ourself? How can we just be obedient? That was it. No special calling, wasn't anything, you know, whatever. It was just, these are things we need to do. How can we be obedient? And the answer that we came to particularly was foster care because that would allow us to love our neighbors, the children that are around us, and to care for the orphan and the widow. And the reason I share that is to simply show you there was no supernatural call. There was no specialized information. There was nothing. There was the Bible and an attempt from us to be obedient. And I want to clarify, once again, we are not the example. We are disobedient in lots of ways. We are not, uh, I'm not trying to say this is the way like we're perfect at doing it. But I want to give you an example of what it looks like to be ordinarily obedient. And so often we put these things in some specialized category, you know, like missionaries who cross the world. It's like, well, that's a special call. Well, why? Where in the Bible is that a special call? All of us should be engaged in missions across the world. It just looks different. But we should all be doing something. So here's an important line here. It's not that we all have to do the same thing, but we all have to do something. It's not that we all have to do the same thing. It's not that you look around and say, I'm going to do what they do, what they do, what they do, or what they do is something I can never do. It's not that. And oftentimes we dismiss ourselves from responsibility because we say, I can never do that. Well, that's fine necessarily if you can't do that. But what can we do? It's not that we all have to do the same thing, but we all have to do something. And I think we all have to be able to point to places in our lives where we're caring for vulnerable children in the world around us. Simply to be obedient to the very basic commandments in Scripture and to show God's extraordinary heart. So this obedience is very ordinary. It's very ordinary. So God has an extraordinary heart, and our obedience is very ordinary, everyday, regular, no specialized call type of obedience that we live out in different ways across this room. So I want to demystify that and say this is all this is for all of us at some level. It'll look different. It won't look the same, but it is for all of us at one level or another. Uh, and just to give you a quick story, one of the things that encourages me about as soon as you step into this world uh, is the spiderweb effect of things that begin to happen like here, there, and everywhere. So one uh, quick little story is my um, uh, oldest son, he was uh, foster care for us for a while, and then we adopted him last year. And uh, this was maybe a year ago or so, when he would get on the bus, he had these two ladies that uh, were his bus drivers and bus attendant or whatever. And one day he comes to me and he tells me that um, the oldest, the lady, uh, her father, I think, uh, or mother, her mother was sick. 
And he told her that my dad's a pastor and he can pray for you. So he's on the bus, right? He's in our home and on the bus because of uh, caring for vulnerable children. And now he's telling this lady who's on a bus who I would never have met that his dad can pray for you. He's a pastor. Uh, he just had that category in his mind, uh, and he said, yeah, I can do that. So the next morning, when we went out to the bus, I had completely forgot about it, and he was like, hey, Dad, this is the lady. I want you to pray for her. And I was like, oh, great. that's right, great, great. And she was super nice. She was like, yeah. And I asked her, and she had grown up Hindu, and she was um, currently a Hindu uh, and didn't really know the way of Jesus. And, and I was able to explain that to her and just pray over her mom in Jesus' name. And it was this interesting moment where it was like, man, like the spiderweb effect of that conversation being a result of a different, totally different step of obedience. And I want you to see your life lived out that way is if you do one thing, God's doing a million things. That's very encouraging. With every one thing you do, God's doing a million things. And he's orchestrating, and he's planning, and he's this master planner, and he's got this, this, and this, and he comes here, and he's going to meet her, and she's going to be sick, and he's going to do this, and that's going to happen. And then that lady's going to hear the gospel because of a decision that was made four years earlier to obey two particular texts. And once again, please hear me. This is not because I'm a pastor or special in any way. This is very ordinary, everyday type of obedience that creates these kinds of things that we all are not only commanded to live out, but have a special power to live out. This is why God gives you the Holy Spirit. There's no specialized Christians. We all have the same spirit, same power, just different roles. And God wants to do this spiderweb effect in your life. With every step of obedience you take, there's a million things that God is doing and working out that you get to participate in and be involved in. And it's a thrill. When I just, I was remember reading through the scriptures the other day in Acts 9, uh, and I shared with everybody last night the story about Dorcas, but there's a, there's a story before where Paul gets converted, and there's a guy named Ananias who God calls while he's asleep, or I think he gets like a vision. God calls Ananias, he speaks to him, and he says, I want you to go to Paul, uh, and I want you to pray over him that he would be able to see and then tell him what I'm telling you. And Ananias is like, I don't want to do that. Paul's a murderer. Like, he's literally murdering our people. What are you doing? You sending me on a death trip? Like, what are you doing? I love that God doesn't give him any explanation. He's like, just go, you know, and he's like, okay, you know, and he goes and he prays over Paul and Paul, uh, his eyesight comes back and then Paul goes to share the gospel all across the world and do what Paul did. And the question I ask myself is why in the world did God call Ananias to do that? He blinded Paul. He sent Paul to a house. He called Ananias who had to take a couple days to get there. And Ananias simply prays over him and then basically passes him off to somebody else. You never hear about Ananias again. And the question is, why in the world was Ananias a part of this story? God didn't need Ananias. He could have just blinded him and then given him a vision to heal Paul there and said, go on your merry way. This is what I'm telling you. Why in the world did God use Ananias? And it's simply because God wanted him to be a part of what he was doing in the world. God wanted to encourage him that you take this step of obedience you prayed over Paul, and now watch what Paul's going to do. Watch what I'm going to use Paul to do, and now you get to be a part of that instead of standing on the sideline. He simply called Ananias because he loves him, and he wants him to be a part of what God is doing. That's the only reason he didn't need him. There was, it was just quick. I just was really struck by the fact that Ananias is so irrelevant apart from the fact that God loves him. This is the only reason that he would have done it this way, the only reason. I can't think of any other reason that he does it this way. And I want you to encourage you with that. God is calling you to step into something because he loves you. He doesn't want you to miss out, man. He wants you to take one little step and let God do a million things that you can never do with your life. 
But your little step and little act of obedience and little resources and little thing, you know, God takes the loaves and fish and he multiplies. And that's what God wants to do in your life is take your little loaves and fish, little boy bringing your lunch. This is what we all are, you know. We're like little kids bringing this little Lunchable to Jesus, saying, Lord, do something with my Lunchable. And God takes the Lunchable and he makes a feast out of it. And that's what God wants to do with your life, you know. Give Jesus your Lunchable, all right. Just give it to him. Let him use it. So as we talk about let's go and let's go change the world, it isn't just that the world needs change. It's that like God loves you. He wants you to participate. He wants you to live a life that matters. And he wants to take the little thing you think is small to have to offer and do great things with it. And you don't have to be a pastor, a missionary, somebody on staff or any of that stuff. This is everybody's obedience and everybody's opportunity to make a difference. And we all have that. And just imagine if everybody in this room left and went and did the things we're talking about, what kind of impact would be made? Our services are a launching pad, not a landing place. So I have talked too much. Let me bring my lovely wife up, Kristen. Why don't you come join us? Everybody give her a round. I have uh, just a couple questions I want to ask you, and I want to hear. I want you to be able to share with everybody, uh, just from your own personal experience, uh, what this looks like, what this could look like for them, uh, and be able to explain it in ways I never would be able to. So uh, let me ask you a few questions. Number one, why did you decide to enter into the lives of vulnerable children, and why should other people do the same? I think you've, you've touched on a lot of it, um, but really just because Jesus did, right? And every time we open the Bible, we see how Jesus cared for the needy, Jesus cared for the orphan, Jesus cared for the child. And not all of us are going to be in the work of care for the child, but it came down to stewarding the gifts God's given us stewarding um, the life God has given us, the relationship God has given us, the resources God has given us in a way that we can leverage it for others. So for us, that meant opening our hearts and home to children through foster care. But that might mean in retirement, stepping into the mentorship roles we have here that need daytime hours or being a teacher and stepping into the Title I school that has more needs and leveraging those skills and stewarding the gifts God's given you for the sake of others. And so for us, that's really all it was. Is like, God, you have given us these things, and we think we could do this, and we see in your word that we should do this. So we just went to an interest meeting when we first moved up here, hadn't tried to have biological children or anything, and, and just went, and there was a need, and we were like, let's do it. So we just started. So I think wherever we're at, we have to look at how we're stewarding what God's given us and leverage it. Amen. No, that's really good. I uh, The other day, my, my wife was uh, texting me and uh, talking about opening our home again uh, to another child. And I'm like, you are crazy, okay? Like, what? we got four kids right now. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, so just if you're out there looking for a wife, you want that. You want a crazy one, all right? You want a crazy one. Those are the best, all right? That's the best kind. I was like, In my I like, defense, I got I an email you. that said that they were in desperate need of emergency foster homes. And I'm like, we are here. Are we able? Okay, we have a lot going on this weekend. We have a full house. We could put a baby in our room because babies, you can do that in foster care. And I was like, we need to do it. So I did. I emailed them. I was like, I haven't asked my husband yet, but, um, <laughs> but in God's providence, there's no extra baby this weekend. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. All right. She's also a two on the Enneagram scale. That means anything. She has a heart of mercy. Okay. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, stewarding is a good word. I think it's good, too, to clarify there what you said. Vulnerable children isn't just like the three-year-old kid of foster care. You know, it's a 16-year-old that just came to the country and was <laughs> trying to figure out this whole world. And we have opportunities to mentor. I'm telling you, this school is like 
come in, you know, just come in, do all these kids are like, whatever, you know, uh, there's access everywhere. And so if you guys jump in, uh, the access is there. We can really make a difference in the lives of vulnerable children, which is a very broad spectrum. Okay. Uh, second thing, I think this is really, really helpful for people here. How did you move past your apprehensions and move into action? What did that look like for you? And how would you encourage others to take a step past that initial phase of apprehension? Yeah, I think after an initial like surveying of how God has equipped us and gifted us and sought wise counsel and all of those things, it comes down to just doing it scared. Like you're not going to have it all figured out. The ducks are never going to be in a row. You're not going to have the perfect financial situation, the perfect setup for everything. It's never going to make sense to do hard things. But it just became a baby step of faith and obedience at a time. So we said yes to going to that meeting. We said yes to continuing the process, and I actually got pregnant with Josiah during that process, and everyone was like, ooh, pump the brakes, and we just felt like God didn't stop our call to care for the orphan because I got pregnant, so we were just insane, and I think we can admit that now, and we um, started accepting foster placements three months after Josiah was born, and so uh, that was it. You just do it scared. You trust God, and he's equipped us with everything we need for life and godliness through the Holy Spirit. That means he's given me everything I need to care for these kids. And it's hard, and it can be hard. But there's a Jason Johnson quote. He's a great author on foster care, but this goes for all caring for um, the vulnerable that says that our yes will never be as hard uh, on us as our no will be on them. And these kids and these families um, don't have a choice in being in crisis. They don't have time to wait for our convenience and for us to figure it out. That's why I wanted to accept the call this weekend. Like, can you imagine there's kids coming in care in our backyard that have no home to go to? That's not okay, you know? And so I can't wait for the convenient time for our schedule to be less busy to just say, yes, let's do it. Within reason, of course. Or maybe not. Maybe we're not within reason. Holy Spirit makes you do crazy things. So... Um, that, yeah, that's what I say. Do it scared. Do it scared. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the most favorite things I've ever heard you say. Do it scared. We should quote, quote, Chris Singh. I don't know if that's probably someone else. That's probably not my phone. I don't know. It's yours. Yeah, let's give it to you. Do it scared. That's great advice. Just do it scared. Yes. Yes, it may have been. All right. Uh, what has been the best outcome of caring for vulnerable children? And what does that look like for others? How has this encouraged you? Um, what is, how can you encourage everybody in that way? I think for me... I've never been so sure that I'm walking in the will of God mm. as when we're doing this. And um, the personal sanctification, the way that God has worked in my heart and my life and what he's taught me and us, that we're totally changed people. Now that our eyes have seen, we cannot turn away, right? And what we know now about childhood trauma and the effect on the brain and the body and the belief system that they have about the world around them because of the neglect and abuse that they experienced so young, it changes everything. And God has used it to reveal himself to me more and more, to show me who he is, show me he is who he says he is, he can do what he says he can do, and I've had to believe him for big things. So I think, uh, yeah, my my personal sanctification and just being so sure that I'm in the will of God, there's no no better feeling. So um, I think those are great outcomes of doing it, that he's always with us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we say a lot uh, as we're going through this is it's not about the outcome. We don't control the outcome. We don't control whether they stay or go. You know, people ask us, man, somebody's in your house for a year. How do you, like, how do you let them go? That must be hard. We're like, yeah, it is hard. It doesn't get easier. Uh, and uh, what we say a lot, even when it's thinking about things that are coming ahead or, like, worries we have when they're 17, you know, whatever, is we're not in the outcome game. That's not us. Our actions aren't about our, well, the outcome. That's what Jesus controls. Uh, only Jesus can produce outcomes. It's our job to be obedient. And so we just take the step and we let Jesus handle the outcome. And that's really, at the end of the day, where you trust the character of God. 
And like this may be hard, and this may like wreck a part of our life, and it may not be resolved until heaven, but I'm going to trust the character of God. I'm going to fall back on that, not necessarily outcomes or whether things are smooth or whether any of those things are working out. Uh, but we don't do this for outcomes. We do this to be obedient. So. Yeah, and I think the last thing on that is just, this is Jason Johnson's quote too, that uh, Jesus motivates us into it, sustains us through it, and is put on display because mm-hmm. of it. And that has been the most rewarding part. Like, we've dealt with some super hard stuff in our home, unspeakable stuff, I would say. And uh, still, because Jesus is not only what motivated us into it, but sustains us through it, and is put on display through it, through, like, the bus driver or the therapist we talk to that's like, what is up with your faith? You know, all these things. And that goes for, like, the businessman who these vulnerable kids in our neighborhoods need to need your business skills to know how to you know, develop a business for the man or woman with a business. Like, it could be anything to leverage for that. But it's amazing to look at your gifts and your, I don't know, what you're stewarding in a way that uh, God could sustain you through it like nothing else could. Yeah, the ther- I love the therapist example because she was trying to understand the language we use at home. Like, what are you telling him at home? And she didn't really have categories for sin. I was like, when he does something wrong, we try to give him the sin category, like, uh, God loves you, but this is called sin, and that's what separates us from God. That's why we need Jesus, uh, trying to create that language at home. You know, it's not just that you did a bad thing. It's just called sin. We all have sin. That's why we need Jesus. So, uh, and she was trying to understand that category, and I literally, she was like, well, just tell me, what is sin? <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, Genesis 3, let's go. And uh, we just walked through the whole Bible. It was like 30 minutes. It was like, well, it started here, and then it goes here, and it's in us, and this is Jesus. And uh, That was two years into that yeah. relationship, though. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's that was- right. That was two years. Yeah. We had known her for two years, and that was the first time we got a really clear shot at uh, sharing the gospel. So it wasn't definitely wasn't an instant instant pot thing. So yeah, okay, good. You know, like that. Yeah, okay, all right. Instant pot. We didn't need one of those. Okay. Uh, so tell us about our new partnerships then in light of our uh, attempt as a church to live this out. Okay, so what I'm super excited about, and we'll detect him, you can tell the plan, is um, that like we get to like start now. We get to care for the needy in our backyard now. The vulnerable, all these words we're using. And God has really just provided partnerships for us in ways that we couldn't. So we have two we're focusing on going into, and we have these continuous stuff like mentorship program, Young Lives for Teenage Moms, all these things going on. And for the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, we are partnering with Falls Church High School right here um, that has identified 50 families that don't have food for Thanksgiving that we're going to provide for. And I got in connection with um, Prevention Services for Fairfax County. They work with families who have had investigations open for abuse and neglect, or um, but the kids haven't been removed, so they're trying to keep the family intact, which we're super passionate about, and also some kinship care, foster families, just really needy families that are like at risk for staying together as a family. And they have identified lots of families who also need food. So we get to leave here and he'll tell you the plan of what we get to do. And I think we should just pray over like each can we buy, you know, what God wants us for our next step of faith and obedience or each delivery we make that feels inconvenient or hard or not worth it. You know, that we see what we're seeing today in all those steps. So you can share the plan. Good. Awesome. Uh, so I think it's good uh, to remember everything we basically do at the end of the day trickles down to serve vulnerable children. 
So if you help, you know, establish financial stability and start businesses, what you're doing is helping to create financial stability in homes so that they don't have less crises and you can hopefully begin to really live that out safely. Uh, as we mentor, right, you're beginning to develop young adults into people that will raise um, kids, whatever it might be. So you got to think holistic in terms of it may not always be, you know, the two year old down the street, which it will be. But almost anything we do to serve the community creates strong foundations for the community itself so that they can uh, prosper and do well in their hopefully relationship with the Lord as well is what we really want to see. So uh, with that in mind, we have a couple of things that we're doing for the families around us. So remember, foster care and adoption is a, a great thing for us to step into. The better scenario is for kids not to need that at all. The best scenario is they don't get in the system. The best scenario is their families are healthy and following Christ and flourishing in their lives. So that's what we want to do. I want you to remember it that way. It's not just stepping in, but as a Jason, what's the name of that Jason Johnson book? Just so they, uh, Reframing Foster Kids. He has a book, but Reframing Foster Kids through the Lens of the Gospel on. is a great one if you're considering. Should write that down. Reframing Foster Care through the Lens of the Gospel. If you look up Jason Johnson, he's probably the so, primary resource for us on learning about these things. So Jason Johnson. Uh, so um, what I want you to see, uh, uh, what we're saying is uh, prevention, intervention, and restoration. So there's things you can do to prevent the crisis. There's things you can do to step into the crisis. There's things you can do to restore the crisis. So uh, this is mainly and primarily preventative right now is to say we have these two partnerships, Falsters High School. So this very high school that we're meeting in right now, the high school that me and some pastors spend time in during the week, the high school we have teachers that teach in and leaders that lead in. This high school, uh, we have 50 families from this high school that the parent liaison is giving us uh, access to and families that are in need, great need, that we can serve this coming Thanksgiving. So what we're going to do with Falls Church High School families is next week, we're going to have 50 boxes with labels on them. What we get to do, which is unusual, is deliver it directly to the house. So we get to be in the house. We get to share the gospel. We get to show the love of Jesus. We're not just like giving it to somebody who facilitated it. We are the facilitators of this. We are God's representatives in this community. So um, there's 50 families. So next week, I got a couple things. I'll share the second one in just a minute. Come ready to grab a box. And what you're going to do is take the box. There will be a label of things you need to put in the box. And there will be an address and name and contact information for you to deliver the box. You can do it with your family. You can do it with your lighthouse. You can do it by yourself, whatever it may be. There will be tracks and different things available for you to put in the box. But you will buy the supplies for the Thanksgiving meal. It will be there. And you'll take the box from us on the 17th and you'll deliver it before Thanksgiving. Okay? So that's one way. 50 families are going to make a difference right here. And then with the prevention service, she also has 50 families for us. And what she's mainly looking for is baskets with canned goods and uh, $25 to $50 gift cards so they can buy a turkey. Uh, and so that's what it looks like for us to serve them. So this is what I want you to do this week is go bring a bunch of canned foods, bring it from your house, buy some or whatever, and a $25 or $50 gift card, whatever's reasonable for you. Bring it next week, and we're going to sort all that together, and then we're going to divvy it up amongst our lighthouses, and our lighthouses are going to be the prime. They're going to be the Amazon prime for delivery on these things, all right? They're going to take what we have, sort it amongst themselves, and go deliver it to the 50 families together. So number one, I encourage you uh, to jump into Lighthouse. If you are not already, all that information is on the website. Secondly, you can just jump in and do it with us. If you're not in a Lighthouse yet, you can grab a box and take that by yourself with just your family and serve that way. Uh, so this week, get canned goods and a $25 to $50 gift card to a grocery store or just a Visa card, something that's easy to use. Get that. We'll bring it next week. We'll sort it out together um, during our lunchtime. Uh, and then you'll grab a box on your way out. And after we 
all leave from the 17, the lighthouses will have what they need to deliver the next week and a half. And then everybody will have a box to have what you need to deliver for the next week and a half. And we're going to serve Thanksgiving families that way. And then secondly, for Christmas, uh, I just want you to mark the date, December 14th. On December 14th, we have two things going on. The first is we'll be working on a Christmas store to help families provide Christmas for their kids at a 10% rate of the cost of the item. So us as a church will buy toys. We'll get a list of the families in need for it. And then we'll create a store where we can meet people, share the gospel, where they can come and buy the item at 10% of the cost uh, so they can supply uh, Christmas for their children and families. And then the same thing, we'll be working with prevention services on that day, and that plan is TBD, but mark December 14th on your calendar. After Thanksgiving is over, we'll deliver the Christmas information. You'll know what to buy, but I want you to have that on there. Now, the importance of this isn't just, hey, there's good plans for holiday season. You have to remember, we are new to this community. What we are doing is building trust. We're building trust. We're not conquering the world tomorrow. We're building trust, and we'll go in, and we'll say we get 50, and we'll deliver 50. And we'll make good on that promise. We'll go into the families and we'll share the gospel, whatever it is that they need. We'll begin to meet people, we'll begin to have access to people's lives, to be able to share the gospel and show the love of Jesus in real tangible ways. And as we build trust, to trust us with more. As we build trust, they'll trust us with more. And we'll be able to really make a difference one piece at a time. So it's almost like this is very important. It's also a setup to launch us into 2020 as, a, as an organization, as a church that's trustworthy, that's reliable, that makes good on its promises, and that is really here to serve the community, not just to run services in the cafeteria on Sunday. So it's a time for us to prove it, in a sense, to say that's what we're here to do. So this is a great thing for us. I really want all of you to buy in on that, partner with somebody if you can't afford it, whatever it looks like, but let's all be a part of this. Any other things on that? Great. Fantastic. So did we have that on the screen? Did you have that yet? Just put that up there so you'll remember the things that you need to do uh, so that we can really serve the communities this, this week. So remember the heart of God, extraordinary heart of God. We are after God's heart. We want to see people become sons and daughters. Then the ordinary obedience of his people. All of us step out one little step of faith. We bring him our Lunchable. He takes it and he multiplies it and he uses it across the board to serve the city and to change people's lives. Y'all good for this? Y'all ready to do something? Not just talk about it. All right, good. Amen. Amen. Very good. Thank you, Kristen. Let me uh, pray for us. I'll have the band come up and we'll sing uh, and we'll close our time together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you have a heart for the vulnerable. We thank you that you are the defender of the fatherless. We thank you, Lord, that you chose to become our father. That even though we have sinned against you and walked away from you, you died and rose again for us, that we could become your sons and daughters. And instead of having a spirit of slavery and fear, we now have the spirit of freedom and intimacy as your sons and daughters. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for your extraordinary heart. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that we would not just be a people who talk about it, but a people who do it and live it out. Lord, make it true that services are a launching pad, not just a landing place. Use this group of people to go enter into homes, to go provide what's needed, to go share the gospel, to go be your hands and feet. Lord, use us to push back the darkness and to go after your heart here. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you. It's a blessing that you would choose to use us, God. We thank you we get to play a little part in what you're doing here and around the world. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.